Okay, so another podcast episode today, and this time I'm back with Aswad, who's been on the podcast before. So if you're a regular listener, you would have you would have heard from him before. I will link the, the other podcast episode in the show notes so you can hear his intro there. So I would recommend listening to that one first, and then you can listen to this one after. Or if you want to just listen to this one straight away, then you do you as well. Uh, but yeah, Aswad, how's it going? It's good to hear from you again. Hello, and- hello. Yeah. It's good to see you and hear from you as well. It's been a while. Yeah, I've been okay. I've been really busy, but it's always good to make time for for things like this because I quite like talking to you and being on the pod. So mm. I've been well. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. What have you been up to? Um, just the typical stuff. Work is getting really busy because I took on a new senior role recently. So there's a lot more admin and managing and client meetings going on so that takes up a lot of time and then obviously I'm trying to fit in my gym sessions with that I'm playing the bass guitar as well and Mm. yeah just a few more social things going on because a lot of my friends are like back from holiday and we have a bit more free time and stuff like that so it's just trying to fit in basically all aspects of of my life into one go okay so it's been busy how about yourself I'm good uh just like sorting out my life here in Portugal, uh, you know, some people who regularly speak to me will probably think I've been, you know, they'll know I've been in Portugal for a while now, but just sorting out the living situation, because I always thought for a while to go back to London, but I've decided, you know, I'm going to stay here for good. So, yeah, just sorting things like that out, uh, Portuguese phone number, Portuguese bank account, you know, all the boring. Oh, yeah, yeah. so the big, really the big move, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's mostly been yeah, that. But sure. other than that, um, I just... You know, it, as you may or may not know, I've been on like a weight loss journey. So I've just been trying to document yeah. and share that because I just thought that would be really good to, to watch for a lot of people, including the listener. And uh, and that's been good. And obviously, like hearing what people have to say about it as well has been really cool. Um, but yeah, other than that, that's probably what I've been doing most. And then obviously, like, you know, the the typical recording podcasts, etc. How's yeah. um how's the playing the guitar and training going? at the gym um basically it's going well i'm just learning lots of songs and learning different scales and arpeggios and stuff like that just trying to connect the theory side to the practical side of music Mm. because that's kind of like how that's how i like to operate in general i like to learn both the theory and the practical bring it together same with gym to be honest and fitness and i've recently joined let's say a band so we're trying to practice more regularly and we have to rehearse songs and try to get it to get it nailed basically just to make sure that we make little mistakes but also allow space for creativity again similar to the gym really so yeah that's been good training <laughs> less so training training hasn't been as as good as as i'd hoped and to be honest that was something i wanted to speak about today um in terms of how training has been going because if i'm being honest this year has probably been one of my worst training years i've had since starting gym, I think even lockdown was probably better than, than this year in terms of results. But this is kind of something I've come to expect over the years where there's always going to be one or two periods where things aren't going perfectly, but you still have to kind of keep going and and make sure that you're being at least as consistent as you can be, mm. even though the results may not come to the same extent. But yeah, it's been it's been a tough year for training. And yeah, I'm kind of just trying to get consistent again and build towards next year but that's something we will have to go through sometimes you'll have periods where we're not training as hard as others just because of things happening but being mm. consistent is the, the thing that we need the most let's say 
and and do you say it's being tough because of what you said because of of maybe consistency levels or is it something else um it's been it's been a bit of everything to be honest i try to be as accountable as possible i definitely think that i have been less disciplined on the gym side in favor of bass guitar and work and trying to kind of accelerate my career as much as possible mm. but at the same time I did have an injury in February, which kind of set me back for a bit. So I had to focus on rehabbing. And in that process, I lost a little bit of strength. And whilst that was going on and all the other things were going on, I kind of just took a back a back seat for gym for a bit. So instead of going five or six times a week, I go maybe three times a week. So I'm still going to the gym regularly enough to, I guess, maintain my position. But in terms of actual improvements, it's been very minute, let's say. But yeah, I'll say it's a combination of two things. Also, my own consistency and putting it as uh, less of a priority. And also injuries have kind of messed me up a bit. Mm. And I don't really get them very often. So <laughs> they're, they're quite hard to, to manage when you don't get them often. Yeah, But that's, that's really good. Okay. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, and were you going to say something else as well? Oh, no, no, no. Nice. Yeah, but yeah, when you say like, you know, maybe progression is a bit slower than you'd like it's because you know most people listening to this like you're very experienced in the gym you've been going for a long time you're you're deadlifting you were deadlifting i don't know what you exactly what your lifts are now but you deadlift crazy amounts of weight you squat crazy amounts of weight and you know as you do get deeper in any way as you know progression is naturally going to come slower anyway and then obviously with the injury that is obviously going to slow things down but you know what times like this when uh when you know you're it's like you feel like you're not making too much progression because obviously progression at first it f- flies like crazy as we know yeah at the end of the day you know what 90 percent of people don't even exercise at all so you're fine like you're 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 great and that's always what i'm like yeah it's true you know when you know even when we get quite hard on ourselves most people don't even exercise and that's sometimes what we have to remind ourselves so we, we're doing great regardless um that's, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah i don't even have i don't have an exact statistic for that but that sounds about right <laughs> we'll, do, we'll, we'll do our research after this yeah, but yeah, yeah I do agree I think um, part of this year has been kind of giving myself grace to an extent telling myself you know what three times a week is still better than zero oh, yeah. and despite despite some of the setbacks I was still able to PR in every lift and that's obviously a good sign but there's also the element of even if I didn't PR this year sometimes that happens and the most important thing is kind of turning up to be honest, and, and enjoying the process. Mm. And although I'd, I'd say discipline is very important, and we all know the rhetoric of discipline being more important than motivation. But at the same time, I have come to think that motivation and enjoying the process can still be used as valuable tools for success. Mm. Because mm. discipline is the essential thing that's needed for everybody to succeed, essentially. But being able to leverage and harness the energy and the power of motivation and actually liking what you do, it has resulted in better, or <laughs> resulted in better results, essentially. Mm. So I guess it's about finding that balance between making sure your discipline is as high as it can be and your consistency is, as you, as you usually say, around 80% consistency is much better than, you know, trying to get 100 and then ending up with zero later down the line. Mm. But then enjoy what you're doing and you're, trying to use motivation as an advantage, not at the expense of discipline, I feel like the results will be a bit more, more fruitful. And I think that's something that I've learned this year because I have been disciplined in that I have been doing at least three sessions a week. 
but I haven't been enjoying it as much as I have been in other years, which could be a reason why my results weren't as, as good. So maybe it's time to finally switch things up and explore other areas of fitness and keep that strength as a base. Mm. Well, I guess that's something for like a lot of beginners probably don't know this yet or haven't gone to that stage. Mm. But you will get to a stage where it may be time to switch things up. And it's important to realise that when you're switching things up, you still have to be disciplined, but you also have to be open-minded and be able to explore different things. And I think keeping that in mind will stop you from being too hard on yourself and things are going wrong in one area. Mm. Because your fitness is well-rounded enough, you can still explore other areas and keep your discipline up. And eventually you'll get results across the board. And when you look back at your old self, you'd realise you're a bit more well-rounded and a bit more in tune with, with other areas of fitness. Even though you, you might have lost strength, you may have gained athleticism elsewhere. You may have become, you know, more cardiovascular fit, so more fitness. You may have started a new skill, which increases your dexterity. So I guess it's just about looking at areas of fitness that aren't necessarily aesthetic or strength-based, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm trying to maybe explore now. And that I've, I feel like I've met that level of strength where if I get much stronger, I might as well just compete or something. I mean, obviously I'm trying mm-hmm. to be as strong as possible, but it's like, you know, maybe I want to go back to playing basketball more regularly or Maybe I want to start a martial art or maybe I want to do like a weight loss journey like yourself and see what happens there. So I think I'm at that stage where maybe I just, I just have to be a bit more open-minded towards fitness. And that's something that I've had to that kind of meditate and think about mm. a lot more this year as things have been a bit more diverse in my life. Maybe it's time to diversify my fitness as well. So that's maybe why things have been slowing down. Maybe I'm gearing up for something else. Maybe I'm prioritizing other areas of fitness now. But yeah, that's, that's been on my mind a lot. I wonder how it is for you because you seem very consistent with with the gym and working out for obvious reasons, mostly because it seems like you really enjoy it, but also it's kind of part of how you make a living as well. So like how, but you still find your way of adding some variety into what you do, which is quite, just quite inspiring because I do see like on your weight loss journey, for example, you're doing different things. I'm seeing a bit more pull-ups. I'm seeing some different kind of weighted exercises. I'm seeing a lot of walking yeah, I just wanted to know how you, how you, how do you add variety in your training, but you still maintain that kind of level of, of discipline and and high performance. Let's see. You know that whole the the whole conversation that so like the just the whole talk about what you were saying about your own training, I think it's very interesting because actually I've been going through something similar myself. I would say probably for the past year, but more mm-hmm. so maybe the past few months, because. Um, I would say I, I didn't train for strength as much, but I trained, it was very much where the same reason why most people get started at the gym. I was very focused on aesthetics, 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 and mm-hmm. I would eat for aesthetics. Like everything was in line just to, to try and maximize that as much as possible. <clears throat> now, um, I've been kind of shifting away from that over the past year. And again, it's like you said, it's not to say that I'm not tra- I'm training less because obviously I'm still training consistently. There's just many other ways to train that where aesthetics just isn't the focus as much. And that's what I've been, I've been going for a lot more recently. Like I'm just going for performance-based exercises, kind of like just exercises that maybe translate better into, I don't know like how to explain it. It's just, I know exercises that probably aren't optimal for aesthetics, let's say, but exercises that I know would be really good for me to do, for me to progressively overload that still transfer into day-to-day life. And, uh, and I've suddenly found my training to be a lot more exciting again. And interestingly, one thing I've noticed is that 
I'm definitely not the best I've ever looked. Obviously, you know, if I'm trying to maximize everything for aesthetics, I'm going to look better compared to if I was uh, not for, but I'm actually the most content with the way I've I'm look like this is the most content I ever feel with the way I've looked in a long time now obviously I'm on a weight loss journey so some people would say maybe there's a little bit of a what's the word like um uh clash with what I'm saying but yeah yeah it, there is just because I'm on a weight loss journey like I'm doing that more for my health because right. I was in in Texas you know for maybe oh, about yeah. two and a half months and if you've never been to Texas and you've never tried Chick-fil-a and all I'm saying is like when you go to Texas, it's quite easy to gain a little bit of weight, especially if you're not there for a while, like especially if you're there for a good while. So, you know, that was. Yeah. So I was in Texas. I wanted to enjoy the food, not knowing I wasn't going to be there forever. Texas does have good food uh, that the portion sizes are st- stupid. There's no other way to put it, but they are they are enjoying it. Uh, they are enjoyable. And obviously I would try and be more sensible with it. But even then, I found it quite interesting that I uh, I still gained a decent amount of weight but part of me knew is because I, I knew I, I can lose it easily and I thought you know I'll just turn it into a vlog after which is what I'm doing now so I'm doing that for more for health especially because once I did get back my trousers were a little bit tighter than I'd like and that's where I was like okay <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm gonna um I'm gonna do this weight loss journey and first of all just for my health and secondly just because I know I can show people who are interested in that and and just show them how it's done because obviously a lot of people don't know what to do when it when they come to it or what they should focus on so yeah I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to obviously lose some weight for my health and I'll probably go for another month and then I'll probably stop being in a calorie deficit and uh, exercise. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm doing maybe things that exercises that are maybe less optimal for aesthetics. Like I've started doing like suitcase carries. So where you, it's like farmer's walk, but you only hold one dumbbell, uh, like pellet presses, uh, dead bugs. Um, I even had the thought of like trying to, cause I used to do one up, one arm chin ups and I thought that was fine. And I have, and then I wanted to work towards doing that again and uh, just little things like that. And, and I thought, yeah, it's just, yeah, just training all of a sudden feels a lot more exciting. And I've also gone, my average session length used to probably be about 70 to 75 minutes. Now it's about 45 minutes. And, and I find that my, I just find, yeah, I think that's the part of why I'm enjoying training sessions because I used to be able to do that. But now I feel like nowadays, like when I'm in the gym for that long, it just starts to drag towards the end. And and then obviously that shows that it's probably those last 20 minutes probably aren't necessary. Uh, and I'm not obviously putting in as much. So yeah, I've just shortened the session length, tried different exercises and I'm, I'm enjoying it again. And, uh, and yeah, that's just been an interesting shift. So it's like what you said, I just... I, I just found to to repeat myself to it to be really interesting that I'm also the most content with the way um, I've looked because obviously I I look back at pictures of myself when I you know arguably maybe looked maybe when I was looking my best I remember when I took that picture I was like like gosh like like I still want to do this and like improve that and improve this right. and improve that like at a time I didn't appreciate it at all which I also find. <laughs> Yeah. like I, I, I didn't like at a time I thought I still looked I could look so much better I didn't look that great like I know I knew I looked okay that's probably what I was thinking at the time but I wanted to look so much better and now I look back and I'm like bloody hell Leo like <laughs> like that was probably wasn't the best place to be like mentally I don't know how long I could have kept that up the only reason why I stopped was because I went to Japan after and then aesthetics was obviously less my focus and it was more enjoying the experience of being abroad and then I kind of like I started having that mindset shift uh, a few months after I got back from Japan. Interesting. So it does sound like um, 
you had the mental shift that allowed you to be content with how your body looked despite not training for aesthetics. And I think that's, that's interesting in general because I do find that the people who train purely for aesthetics are more susceptible to feeling bad about how they look because such a large portion of their life is dedicated to looking a certain way. And I had the same thing. In fact, just today I was looking through some old pictures of myself and I was a bit more lean, had much less muscle mass, but I was a lot more lean. And I, I remember thinking of myself as fat back then. And I never really trained for aesthetics purely, but of course I was a bit more self-conscious back then anyway. And I think being in the gym and being in the environment with other people who had similar goals to me, but looked maybe better to me at the time, that gave me motivation to an extent, but when I was stuck with training on my own and stuff like that, that motivation dwindled away. And then the real reason why I didn't feel happy came through and it was more mental than physical. But like nowadays, I know that in the mirror, I may not look exactly how I want, but I'm still reasonably happy with it because I'm, first of all, I'm obviously more confident in myself. But secondly, my training is working how I want it to work. And I feel a lot more functional, except for maybe one or two elements of fitness. Maybe I don't jump as high or run as far. But in every other area of fitness, like durability, flexibility, strength, and, and all the other components, I, I do feel much better, which is, which is something. I do wonder how that's going to change because I don't think there is a hypocrisy in um, training for a weight loss journey and being content. I think you can be content and still want something else at the same time, mm. or at least you want to explore something else. And I think that's where I'm going right now as well, because I'm, I'm in two minds where I want to maintain the weight I'm at or to lose a bit of fat so I could jump a bit higher or run further mm. without as much trouble or strain. But then I have to question, is that really the reason why I want to lose the weight or is there something else? Is there still something inside my own mentality telling me? Maybe you just don't like how you look and you're trying to mask it by saying it's health. But I don't think that's the case. Mm. But I think that's why introspection and thinking about why your why is so important. Like, why are you training? Is it really for health or is it to, to combat your, your own mind, if that makes sense? So mm. there is a lot, of, a lot of thoughts back there. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I guess with the injuries and stuff that I had this year, it did make me think of something else as well, which was like training through injury or training through pain or soreness. So I had to kind of reckon with the differences between those three things, if there are any differences. They're obviously a carryover, but is there a difference between pain, soreness and injury? And the more I think about it, the more I can decipher the split between the three. And that enabled me to think differently about training through injury and training through pain or soreness. And I think for beginners, this is super important, more, more so than for us, because we're at that stage where we know our bodies enough and we've kind of put our bodies through enough crap <laughs> to realise what the differences are. But for beginners, everything hurts, you know, at the beginning. <laughs> so how, do, how does a beginner decipher between soreness, pain and injury? When do they know when to train or when to stop or when to step back? Because that's something that, I think a lot of beginners probably need, especially when they're just starting out and starting to ramp up their training. Yeah, that's a... Oh, go on. Yeah, go on. I was was just kind of putting putting the point forward and seeing like what we think about it because it's not something that's spoken about much, I don't think. No, it's not. It's a a very good question. And and before I actually answer that one, um, where you mentioned there was something, I think... um, I can't remember the first point I was going to say now, damn. But the second point was a uh, second point. 
what was the second point? I can't believe I'm about to forget the second point. Now, the second point uh, was, I th- oh yeah, the second point. So as you were, se- you mentioned something on aesthetics. So I would definitely answer the question that you answered, but uh, it's about people who train for aesthetics are usually the most unhappy with the way they look, generally speaking, at least from my experience. Yeah, more, I, or more, I, or more susceptible, more yeah, susceptible I, to feeling I, unhappy. In my sense. experience, I 100% agree with the people I've spoken to. And obviously I've spoken to many gym goers by now. And uh, yeah. and you know what? A lot of that I think is because of obviously just the way they you know see that you, you obviously attract how you are, so you're going to attract that more. And then you know people like that are obviously more likely to be around other people who kind of have similar goals, which is obviously going to mean that it's more a part of their bubble or their world. Uh, not only that, they're also going to be following those types of people on social media. And I found that when I made uh, when I think um. It's like I said, when I was making that shift, I think from more like really focusing on aesthetics, I started being really aware of who I was following on social media. And I thought, actually, you know what? A lot of people, these people aren't even bringing any sort of value in any way. So I just like, it's just like, just their physique, their physique, their physique, their physique. Like, you know what? Some follow this, some follow this, some follow this, some follow this. So I feel like maybe that could be partly why I'm being a lot more content with making the shift. Um, I also feel like, like I don't want to speak about myself so much but I also feel like at first I used to train because of aesthetics aesthetics and just wanted to you know yeah just look better but then obviously as I was more consistent with my training it became more a part of my identity what I do and then over time as it became more a part of my identity that's when I was like okay actually I just want to do it because I feel amazing when I do it and I know yeah it's just yeah and that's pretty much the main reason pretty much why I do it nowadays I am trying to come up with other goals though like the the pull-up goal I have but anyway to answer the question of you know how does a a beginner who's starting out you know differentiate between that muscle soreness between you know pain or an injury that's a really good question it's a question I have sometimes and it's just one of those things I feel like I feel like someone like you know i would love to hear if someone has a clear answer for this the way i'm thinking about it is i think it's just one of those things that you kind of just have to learn through experience because no mm. one can actually like tell like i don't know because i i do remember for example when there was a i remember this takes me back to a conversation i had when i was working at a gym in fulham and this lady who was doing deadlifts, she tried deadlifts for the first time. She was talking to me about it. She's like, oh yeah. And like, that was, she said it was the, the day before. And she's like, today my lower back really hurts. And I'm really scared about my lower back uh, because, you know, my mom's had issues with her lower back. And, and then, you know, a part of me at first, I was like, oh no, that's not good. And then after I was like, maybe she just can't differentiate between the feeling of muscle soreness. There you go. And, uh, yeah. and then after like, I was like, yeah, you know what? Just give it, if you know, give it another, maybe two days see how it feels and if it still hurts after two days then maybe go get it checked out and then, yeah it just turned out it was muscle soreness and then she just became grew from it some familiarity with that feeling yeah, yeah and i think as you said you do have to kind of learn these things from experience but at the same time it was good that she had a good coach to guide her in that direction and that's the thing i think that's the important thing is to have someone or a group of people or at least the ability to research how things are and decipher what the differences are. Because even in my case, when I was maybe a year into training, I had like really sore knees after squatting for about a month or two. And at this point I was thinking, oh, am I injured? Like I'm sore for a month, that's not normal. But then (laughs) 
I think the problem was just that I was trying to play basketball and and train intensely for lower body at the same time. And that's and I don't usually get sore from doing squats, thankfully. But during that period, I was getting soreness, which was kind of transforming into pain. And I think that's when I first asked myself that question, what's the difference? I think with soreness, it's like a dull ache a lot of the time. It's just a dull ache. It may feel like a sharp pain sometimes, maybe after the first day. But the difference, physiologically, it feels like there's more like lactic acid when it's soreness. Whereas when it's a pain on injury, the pain associated with an injury tends to be sharper. And that's when I first, first discovered, okay, maybe, maybe that's the difference. Because when I had the sore knees, it hurt, but it didn't hurt in a sharp pain. It was very, it was like a dull ache. It was like a feeling of reduced capacity, if that makes sense. Mm. Whereas when it started becoming a sharp pain, when it became an overuse injury, that's when the pain went from just a dull ache to a residual dull ache, but with really sharp pain. Like if I get into the squatting position, I feel like, oh, I should probably just collapse and sit down right now because I'm in trouble. And I think that's that's the that could only be found out through experience. But at the time I had a really good coach who's still my coach now, of course. And he just said, oh, you don't have to quit or anything, but just, you know, maybe reduce the basketball a little bit, maybe take a week off now that it's pain and it's an injury, take like a week off and come back. And then after that, I felt fine. And I'm just trying to think how differently would that would that have been if I didn't have a good coach? Because I was feeling soreness for a month and then pain associated with the overuse injury for another two weeks or so. Mm. Obviously, common sense would say, okay, when it becomes pain, you take, take some time off. But not everybody automatically goes towards taking rest because, of course, gym culture could sometimes be push as hard as you can, break your body down, and it will build itself back up. But then when injury comes into it, that's a, a completely different story. <laughs> you do have to take time off with injury. With soreness, I find that a good deload after a certain amount of time consistently training can do the job. And I think you also have to make peace with the fact that there will be soreness sometimes, especially if you might not have had good sleep the night before, your protein intake's been a bit low. Soreness is bound to creep in. Or if you just have a few form imbalances or your training has increased over time. But when it comes to injuries, I think we need to be quite careful with, with injuries. And I think a lot of beginners need to learn the difference between the, the, the pain associated with soreness and an injury, mm. because that's how a lot of people quit. Some people quit after soreness, which is you know, disappointing, but it happens because if you don't know the difference, you might think that the soreness means you should stop. And I have a friend of mine who's not really a beginner, but he's more early intermediate, who always has a sore back after deadlifts, which is quite common, to be honest. I mean, in terms of like the stimulus to fatigue ratio of deadlifts for aesthetics and stuff like that. It's probably not worth it very much unless you go very, very light. But for someone who's training for strength, that lower back soreness after deadlifts can kind of trick you into thinking that maybe deadlifts aren't for you. But fundamentally, a deadlift is just picking something off the ground. You can't necessarily say picking something off the ground isn't for you. Now, if picking something off the ground makes you sore, then would it be better to address the soreness rather than to stop deadlifting? And I think that's the kind of a question you have to ask yourself as well. Um, if you're sore and it's something that's functional, does that mean that functionally you have a disadvantage in that area that needs to be worked on? Or does that mean you should avoid doing that activity? And I think when you understand the difference between soreness and pain, usually your answer is, I probably just have to work on that functional pattern or that movement pattern because I can't stop deadlifting because deadlifts makes my back sore. 
because you always have to pick things off the ground as long as you have the ability to do it. Mm. Same thing with squats. I hear people saying, I don't like to squat because it's bad for my knees. But squatting and deadlifting and push, like, and bench press, basically pushing something, sitting down and standing up and p- picking up something from the ground, these are fundamental movements which every beginner should be doing. And if there's a soreness, then really it means that you should address the soreness, not eliminate the exercise. Now, if it becomes pain and there's pain associated with injury, that's a different story. Maybe you need to take some time off and readdress certain things. Mm. But I don't think soreness is something to run away from. I don't think it's something to chase necessarily, but it's not something to run away from. Now, if it's pain associated with an injury, you'd know the difference because the pain will be much sharper and it would last a little bit longer as well. So I guess, I guess the answer is kind of twofold. The first thing is, as you said, you need experience. But then the second part is, if the, if the pain is much sharper and it completely inhibits you from doing certain things, then you could probably say that's injury. If it's just a dull ache that lasts a day or two, it's soreness. And I think you have to learn to kind of live with part of that soreness, not in a toxic, keep going until you, <laughs> until you drop kind of way, but in a maybe on the next day you train with soreness, you just lower the weight a bit, but you still have to do the pattern and do the exercise, especially if it's a functional exercise. So I guess there's, there's that kind of element of it, which I'm trying to explore as well. Because when I had the shoulder injury in February, I knew immediately that was an injury because of the sharp pain. But if that happened a few years ago, I might have just thought I was just a bit sore or something and I would, I would keep going and, and make it worse. And then the rehab process takes six months instead of three. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the important thing is just knowing how to differentiate between the two. But again, these things come with experience, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and not to mention and to mention, uh, like soreness can happen for a variety of reasons as well. So sometimes, like I squat, I done a barbell squat because I've been doing goblet squats for a few months now, and then I thought, you know what, let me mix it up again. I done a barbell squat uh, two weeks ago, nowhere near my heaviest weight. Like I knew I could lift way more, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to stick with uh, just something on the lighter side relatively today because I just want to, you know, gain some familiarity with the movement again, because it's been about 10 months since I last done it. And, um, and, uh, the next day I was sore as hell. That's just because, yeah. I, because I hadn't done the exercise for such a long time. And then, uh, exactly. yeah, so that, that can come on the back of just doing a new exercise for the first time. And then it can come on the back of, like you said, low protein intake, maybe, uh, inadequate sleep maybe low quality sleep or maybe even just the fact that you've been drinking a lot of alcohol and alcohol can uh, slow down uh, can increase the feeling of muscular soreness and then uh, but yeah and then the next week i done squats again with this time actually heavier weight than the previous week and i barely felt it the next day so yeah it can sometimes come back on just just come from random times i think one thing to bear in mind is that if you're having if you're starting out and you're having trouble like tell it like knowing where if if it's like muscle soreness or pain like obviously muscle soreness you're going to feel it on the muscle Uh, but then obviously if you have pain if it's something you're on the joint like if you're on your elbow you're feeling it on your knee then likely that's not muscular soreness because that's on the joint so that's where you could probably look at maybe that might be more pain uh so that's something to bear in mind as well because obviously your joints aren't gonna you know they're not gonna feel muscular soreness and so that's yeah that's something to to think about as well now i think it's really good to mention one thing because a lot sometimes people when they get injured they think that means they shouldn't do anything at all like they should not at all and that's uh, yeah and that's a that's a that's a bad idea as well as you said because (laughs) i had a i had a i think it was back in 29 2018 maybe i had a knee injury for a few months 
And during that time, I just done like mostly upper body. Uh, and because the knee injury was just, you know, it was limiting certain exercises. I could do a few hamstring exercises, but that was pretty much it for a few months. So I, I still trained the upper body, whereas a lot of people, you know, they would have been, they would feel their knees playing up and they'll say, okay, that's it. I'm not training at all. Yeah, no more training. You can, I think it's important to emphasize that you shouldn't train through an injury. You should, if you can, train around it. Correct. Yeah, correct. That's that's the trick. And um, I imagine you've that's something maybe similar you've done with your training. Yeah, literally. Um, whilst I was, I'm injured with my shoulder. Of course, I couldn't do many pressing exercises, but I still tried to maintain a good level of fitness with my lower body. And of course, I couldn't um do a barbell squat behind me obviously because my shoulder would inhibit that movement but you know like like you are now I was doing goblet squats for example or, or some lunges or something like that it, it wasn't as intense and I obviously lost a bit of strength as well but you know it's still training and I think part of that I don't know how much time we have to, to continue but I think part yeah, of that is now. yeah um part of that is because of and not 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 a dig at any doctors or anything but the, in in the medical field there is hesitation towards moving under injury like I have noticed that a lot of the time when you go to a doctor and you have an injury they tell you just to like not do anything basically just like put ice on it and just rest whereas maybe as gym culture becomes more popular and you know modern medicine evolves there will be an emphasis on early rehab and also working around the injury as opposed to just focusing on just rest and not rehabbing because I find that once you've injured yourself and you're on your way to healing the aim shouldn't be to start moving when it's healed the aim should be to start moving when it's healing when it's just starting to get better that's when you want to re-establish good movement patterns again and rehab is more than just doing the exercise for 15 minutes once a day it's learning to use that joint or that muscle or develop that movement pattern not from scratch but from a position where you have been compromised for a while so it's good to start the rehab process as early as possible in a healthy way, of course. So you, you don't want to bring the pain back to level you're injured again or re-injured, but you can work with the pain to an extent when you're starting to come back in a safe and healthy way. And I think that's something that should be promoted a bit more than just like just resting and putting ice on it. Mm-hmm. And even obviously elite athletes are very different because they have the best facilities and the best you know food and the best supplementation. But if there's one thing we can learn from athletes is that the more you move, the better you tend to get over time. And I think movement is still movement is still medicine to an extent. It's not, you know, the cutting edge solve all your problems medicine, but it does act as a sort of medicine in a way because you can reestablish better patterns. You can get more blood to the muscles and to the tendons and the ligaments, which have a like a notoriously low blood supply. If you if you're moving more you get more oxygen to those areas and that can accelerate the healing process. So that's something that should be kind of promoted a bit more. But I feel like the reason why that isn't promoted so much is firstly because it's hard to reintroduce without people taking it too far. And secondly, not enough people in the general population are kind of educating themselves on proper rehab practices as well. They're kind of just relying on that one doctor's visit to kind of do the job for them. Mm -hmm. And I think we are at that position now where we have the ability to research these things ourselves and of, of course social media isn't perfect but there are people like yourself on social media who, who's dedicated to spreading good information and other people who are also in the medical field as well 
trying to kind of push positive information and the right information. So there is now, I wouldn't say there's no excuse because that's, that's kind of unfair because obviously everyone's circumstances are different, but there are less excuses now than we did back then to have bad rehab and healing processes because we have so much information at our disposal. And as we spoke about in the previous podcast, the ability to decipher good and bad information is probably the most valuable skill when it comes to these things. Mm. But once you can do that, you're in a position where you can make your life much better, have a higher quality of life, without having to rely on someone who isn't necessarily specialised in that area of movement and physical fitness in particular. They have to do their best with what they have in the same way we do. Mm. So I guess the over-reliance on that one doctor's visit as opposed to doing our own research can be can be a hindrance, but at the same time, it would be good if even doctors and those in the medical field could push early rehab and movement as, not movement as medicine literally, but movement in a healing capacity a bit more. But that's something that I think is happening and slowly but surely. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think, yeah, for a long time, I think a lot of people would be surprised as to how many doctors don't actually know too much about nutrition or... Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exercise. On the on the note of movement is medicine. I don't know if you heard about. I say a recent study. It came out a few months ago. Now it was def. I think it was maybe around the summer, uh, where they it showed, and this actually isn't too surprising. There was a correlation between step average and life expectancy. Up until yeah, I've seen it. I've seen I, think, it. Yeah. I think there was like a correlation up until maybe like fifteen thousand steps, something like that. So I thought that was really interesting because obviously up, up until a certain point, you know, there's going to only be um diminishing returns. Isn't yes, it? that's the word. Yeah. yeah, but I thought that was really interesting, and it, it doesn't surprise me as well. It's like you said, yeah, yeah, movement is definitely medicine, and a lot of people, I think, they even just overlook how good, uh, how great, how great walking can be. And if you've been watching my, you know, to the person listening, if you've been watching my weight loss vlog series, you'll see that hitting my step goal is one of the things I try and be most consistent with, not necessarily for the fact that not necessarily for weight loss, but more because I know it's good for me and, and uh, it's just good for my health and that's why I'm doing it. And uh, yeah, I thought that's just uh, something that interesting, yeah, a lot of people overlook and yeah, quite an interesting study on that note. And this is very random off topic about diminishing returns. And I've always wanted to speak about this someone with someone because I've never spoken to, to this uh, about this with someone else, but have you heard about the world record for a plank, like plank time? No, but I know it's very long. I think it's been, it's a few hours, right? It's I'm googling it now. It's four hours, nineteen minutes, and fifty five seconds. Yeah, that's um. If we're talking about diminishing returns, I feel like we I, definitely passed that point. But I, again, I, yeah. be going for the, they're probably going for the record. Though. That's the difference, right? Between doing it for your health and doing it for, to break a record. Like, if you're trying to break a record, you're not really fucked yeah, you too don't much. Help, help. Yeah, about diminishing returns. Um, to be honest, yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting, though. I mean, it's still impressive, but, yeah. of course, after a certain amount of time, you, you do realize, okay, that you're not really getting much out of this from a fitness standpoint. You're kind of doing it for the record, which is fair enough. I'm sure they were going to the record when they did it. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, like, I, I was just thinking, like, when you're doing the plank like when that person is doing the plank at what point is it like okay this is probably you know maybe a bit too much now or like when when do the benefits stop coming in this is something i i don't know about and i was just looking at that and i was like yeah when do the benefits even stop with doing a plank for that long that's wow yeah i mean i think after a while it doesn't even become 
about muscular strength anymore. I think it's more about um, yeah. mentality and resilience. And also the idea in your head that once you finish the plank, you're going to be a world record holder. And I think that's, to be honest, that's another topic for a different podcast, the difference between becoming an elite and doing what's required to be healthy. Two mm-hmm. very different things. Oh, because yeah. in, order to plank for so, in order to plank for so long, you probably did have to sacrifice another element of your fitness in some way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, so things like that are quite cool to, to talk about. But just to go backwards just a little bit, just to play devil's advocate with the step count um, correlation with, with life expectancy. Because again, the correlation was probably one-to-one, like it's just like a linear graph, which again, this is something important for us because understanding and deciphering data is a big part of what we do. How much of that correlation is due to the life, ex- how much of that correlation is due to the step count and how much of that is due to the fact that the people more likely to do that step count are also in tune with other elements of their health, if that makes sense. So for example, if you had, let's say a group of three people, one person has, let's say the optimal diet, if that exists, the optimal for that person, let's say, so they consistent maybe 8% of the time, et cetera, all the things that you'd consider healthy, they track and they, they have good protein intake, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. You have a group who's kind of in the middle, maybe 50% consistency, and you have, another group who they, they don't really work out too much and the only reason why they do the 15,000 steps is because it's part of their job, let's say. Let's say they work in a field that requires them to walk. What would the correlations be for those three groups with life expectancy and, and step count? Because although I'm, I have no doubts that having a high step count does increase life expectancy, how much of that is due to the fact that people who walk 15 steps a day probably have a good diet, they probably are in the gym, they probably are aware of their health they probably start taking some good supplements and things like that is the step count what really caused the life expectancy increase or is it the lifestyle associated with a larger step count and that that isn't to say that the step count isn't as important it's also to say that part of being healthy and it's and it's expanding your your life in general and extending it to an extent because we're talking about extension is the fact that those who are more likely to walk those long steps are also likely to be in tune with other elements of their health. And that just begs the question, how, how important is it to be in tune with the other elements at the same time as you're doing the main thing? So if your main thing is walking, how important is it that you have adequate sleep, adequate diet, um, muscular training, cardio and things like that to extend life expectancy? Is the step count the real reason why the life expectancy went up? Or is it the fact that they have a lifestyle which includes that kind of thing? So I guess that's like the question to play, not to play devil's advocate in particular, because the point still stands that having good cardio extends your life. And that's, that's not something that isn't in the papers, but it's an interesting one because as we talk about health as a holistic thing, can we really attribute life expectancy to one thing in a correlation as in a one-to-one regression line? Or do we have to consider that it's a group of activities, including the step count that can really extend your life it's just something to think about because again as we talk about information and interpreting studies and things like that we do need to ask the deeper questions so that people are more informed on what exactly is considered healthy because no one can say walking is unhealthy i mean (laughs) of course there's diminishing returns like if you're walking 100,000 steps a day then you're probably going to need a lot of protein and sleep to, to be able to do that consistently but i guess as we go through information, we need to know how to even interpret it. Certainly can inform a more healthy population, especially people like us who are kind of determined to look through information, read studies and interpret data to find actual tangible results. How much of, 
how much of that study really mentioned those other things. That's why I have to read it after this, <laughs> just mm. to make sure that it's not just a way of talking about increasing. St- you know how um, the step count, the 10,000 steps thing was like, created by someone who wanted to sell a pedometer, which counted up to 10,000 steps, for example. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. The, the, it, was the from a, it was a Japanese company, I think. It was a Japanese company, yeah. Who, uh, who launched a pedometer on the back of the Olympic Games because they had a lot of momentum from the Olympic Games or something like that. Um, Along those lines. And they wanted to keep up the momentum. And at the end of the day, you know what? Uh, I just, I, I can't even look at it as being a bad thing. I think that's only it's done not, it's not. a lot more good <laughs> than bad. Uh, but Precisely. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely done. Obviously, there's, you know, some people who maybe take it too far, but it's definitely done, I think, net good. Uh, in regard to the point that you made, yeah, it's a brilliant point, a really good one. And as well, it's why a lot of people do need to, you know, look at data and then maybe question it a little bit more. You know, is it is it really because of, the point the correlation that they're showing or is it because of other factors and actually this is it's a it's a brilliant point and you're right it's one it's not it's it's kind of tricky to say 100 percent. it's, it's hard, it's part hard. of a it's just probably you know one part of a bigger picture for sure uh it's it's a similar thing it's a similar thing i conversate similar point to what i usually say when um you know, there was a big, there was a lot of hype about the vegan diet coming out and how there were, exactly, uh, exactly. there was a, a bigger life, a higher life expectancy with it. There was more health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, they were showing all of these studies that show compared to meat eaters. But then I would always say, you know, if you think about it like this, if you're just comparing your average vegan to your average meat eater, your average meat eater doesn't give a damn about their health. Your, your average meat eater probably smokes. He probably just, you know, he's probably watching his fourth episode of Netflix right now. And, and then he's probably, I, I don't know, going to grab a Big Mac. So he's like four, a third Big Mac for the week. So comparing it like that, it's, it's not the most fair thing. Where in, when you compare it to your average vegan, your average vegan is going to be a lot more health conscious. So that's where it's just exactly. like, is it necessarily the vegan diet? Or is it the fact exactly. that, you know, that person just cares about their, their the, the average vegan cares about their health a lot more than the average meat eater? Because yeah. if, when you actually compare it, and I've, I've actually looked at, you know, maybe better to studies, to maybe for lack of a better word, where they actually do take into account lifestyle and they do, do try and keep it as similar as much as possible. There doesn't show any, there's no, there's no, there's no one, so this is more optimal than the other. Precisely. Yeah. They're, 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 on, a, they're on an equal, they're, they're, they're equal. And if anything, uh, some of the studies argue that actually the vegan is probably a little bit harder because you know unless you're maybe after a while you're used to it but you know at first it comes with a lot of maybe a lot of stress because you don't really know what to do you don't know what to eat so there's that but uh yeah it's, it's equal in terms of uh, health so yeah, that's always something you want to think about yeah exactly yeah then yeah. yeah. that's, that's why it's so interesting like you have to look at things from a multivariate by multivariate i mean there's multiple variables than a univariate case and again, we can extend that to supplements, for example. Like certain supplements are deemed to be more valuable for performance because the people who buy the supplement are more likely to be the ones who train five, six times a week, have good sleep, and maybe even compete sometimes. And they're sponsored, which means that they have enough of a fitness background to actually leverage the results from the supplement. It doesn't necessarily mean the supplement is, is, is great or it, it breeds like these tangible benefits. Sometimes it's just the fact that the people who are using the supplement are also also training five times a week with perfect sleep, perfect diet, that kind of thing. Same thing with like waist trainers and all those other things that, that are kind of commercially kind of pushed out there to the general population when really it's a very small group.
group of people who benefit from it, if at, if at all. Mm. But it's an interesting one because we started talking about step count, which is obviously a positive thing, but then certain supplements are pushed in such a way that it is valuable for performance, like test boosters, for example. You know, test boosters are all the rage right now because apparently if you take test boosters, it will boost your testosterone, your free testosterone. And it's like, well, yes, for people who are already conscious of boosting their testosterone, for the ones who are training hard, for the ones who are getting their sleep, because that's when the hormone is mostly produced and, and manufactured, essentially. So it does make you think. It does make you think. And also the, the, the testosterone boosters, again, that's a whole other podcast because yeah. free, testosterone, free testosterone is not the same as utilized testosterone. A lot of these products will increase free testosterone over a short period of time, but your utilized testosterone is still not, it's going to be the same because hormones are chemical signals, which means that they need to be paired with a, um, an opposite or alternate signal and they need, the receptors need to be firing efficiently and all these kinds of things. Just boosting your testosterone isn't going to like, <laughs> you know, give you 10 kg of muscle compared to if you didn't take the booster. But, you know, supplements and, and fads are definitely... They, they definitely take advantage of someone looking at things from a one-to-one perspective. But. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, to, to be honest, yeah, there's a, a lot of ways we could take this that probably would need a, yeah. a podcast episode. In <laughs> off and, yeah, I do need to start winding it down. But anyway, was there anything yeah, exactly. you wanted to touch on but, uh, briefly before we do wind it down? Um, to be honest, no. I feel like we need to probably do this again for the third mm. time. <laughs> it's been an hour. It has nearly been an hour, yeah, but yeah, I feel like we've covered advice. a few things. We've covered a few things. We spoke about training. We spoke about mental health to an extent, you know, how you perceive your own body. We spoke about um, changing your training and making it more functional just because it's more fun or the, the power of having both discipline and motivation. We spoke mm-hmm. about you know, diets in general, fad supplements, walking. Yeah. yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel like we covered a lot in such a small space of time. So I think we could probably just do this again another time. But I don't think I have anything else to, to talk about unless you do. I'm happy to stay a bit longer if, if required. But Not really. I didn't even have anything planned for t- before today's podcast. So it just shows that, you know, when you have uh, two people who can just talk about certain subjects for a long time, it's just easy for the conversation to flow. Yes, that's I it, planned yeah. my podcast a lot and then I felt like it was coming. Maybe it sounded a bit too scripted. Uh, so yeah I just you know I was just like oh I'm not even going to plan anything I'll just yeah, go yeah. And I know conversation will flow anyway one more thing actually briefly considering I'm going to be releasing this around the start of the world cup I don't know if you like football would you how are you feeling about the upcoming world cup um to be honest I'm not a strong football follower like I used to be I know that I mean I'm always going to be supporting England anyway but I think this is one of the first years in a while where Brazil might be actually be a big threat it's been a while since brazil's been a proper big threat so i'm yeah. actually looking forward to seeing brazil i don't think they play the same kind of jogger bonita football they used to play back in the day when we were kids but mm. they, they play some really good football i'm looking forward to seeing them together and france again france always a big threat i like france a lot they have some good players across the midfield and the attackers the defenders so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting yeah. i think football in general is in a good place right now because there's just talent all over the place so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that. And I'm kind of, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if there are any like dark horses that come through. So that would yeah. be quite interesting. Yeah, it's always fun when there's like a dark horse. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. How about yourself? I don't know if you supporting Portugal now. Because you're... Mm-hmm. you're- yeah, Portugal has always been my like favourite national team. Uh, second, England. So I'll be rooting for them too and I'll be keeping a close eye on them too. Uh, 
I don't know how I feel about Portugal's chances. I feel like we have like a really good starting eleven, and then yeah, the bench. The depth, the, the 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 squad depth is okay. Uh, you know, we've lost two players to injury, uh, Pepe and Diogo Jota. I don't know how you know, depending on how much you know football, you'll know them. But um, yeah, yeah, so, but, yeah, yeah. So we've lost him. So yeah, it, yeah. But we, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. First game is a against Ghana. Uh, and that will be kicking off the World Cup. So, uh, and obviously, I've got a lot of Ghanaian friends who I'm in a group chat with. Uh, and <laughs> funny. And, uh, and, actually, and coincidentally, actually, not coincidentally, just on the, like a few days before, our, I think it's like a week before our first game, they're doing a friendly in Lisbon and I've actually got tickets to the friendly, so I'm really excited. Oh, okay. Oh, by the time, I think, actually, I think I'm releasing this on the day of the friendly. It's the 17th. It's Portugal v Nigeria. Uh, okay. So I think they went for another African team just to, I guess, just to have a bit more experience playing African teams, considering the first opponent is Ghana. So yeah, we're playing Nigeria, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. It's in the Sporting Lisbon Stadium. So okay, yeah. well, I enjoy that, man. That's, that's going to be pretty good. Oh yeah, you yeah, get to yeah. Speak of how it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How is that the World Cup? The energy, the energy around period of the World Cup is crazy, man. Everyone is just so excited to watch football like every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, there's, I don't think there's many, there are many tournaments in across any sport which that, kind of produces that level of excitement, yeah, especially yeah. amongst like the West, especially. Like, maybe maybe the playoffs in basketball, because I'm a big basketball fan, more so than football. The playoffs does bring that excitement, but nothing does it like the World Cup in football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The World Cup ridiculous. is another level. Yeah, it's because... Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Football is the most popular sport in the world. It is, it is, it is, it is, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's not even close as well. You know, honestly, yeah. like outside of outside of like America in general, like football is the biggest sport almost everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Let's see. Okay, well, let's see how it goes. I think, yeah. Well, you know, we'll know by the end of the year. Though. I think the World Cup final is like mid December. Mid December, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, thank you very much for coming on to another episode. If you want to share your social media handles, you can. Um, yeah, okay. So um, I'm really only on Instagram like that. I don't really use my TikTok anymore, but it's the Wizard of Az. I'm with an AS at the end. And that's that's about it, to be honest. I'll put I mean, I have, my, I have my base account, but I don't think that's... <laughs> my base account isn't really relevant here. I don't think many people would listen for the base, but... I've got a base account which you can kind of find from my from my main account anyway. But other than that, no, I don't really have any other social media handles. No, I'll, I'll put I'll put both of them in the show notes. If you're listening from Earthward's side, then you can you know follow me, reach out as well, send over a message. Yes. I'm always happy to have a chat in the DMs at Leo Alves PT. Alves is spelled A L V E S. Leo Alves PT. But I also link that in the in the show notes of this podcast episode, so you can find the links there. And uh, yeah, again, don't hesitate to send over a message. I'm happy to t- uh, talk to everyone. Anyway, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you always taking out the time uh, for a chat. Uh, it's always a good chat. And yeah, we'll do another one of these sometime early 2023, I'll say. Yeah, maybe we can do like a one to kick off the year and just yeah, yeah, speak yeah. about resolutions and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, spoiler for that episode, start now. <laughs> don't, don't wait. <laughs> but yeah anyway have a great one um, okay. great speaking to you again and thank you for taking up the time to speak to me as well yeah. I appreciate it alright